You are listening to Time to Revive. This show is designed to help you get the confidence to share your faith in everyday life. The music in the background is Revival from Third Day. Welcome back to Time to Revive. My name is Mark Bird. Again, I will be your host. And joining me remotely on the line today is a new friend of mine named Grant Edwards. Grant, welcome to the program. Yes, Mark, thanks for having me. And I will say we are new friends, but I think we are soon to become best friends. I agree. I was going to say my new best friend, exactly what I was going to say there. And uh, folks, you guys hear me say every week how excited I am because of the guests that we indeed have. Grant and I have been talking over the last few months here specifically about these things that we're going to cover today. But most importantly, Grant and I met about, oh, a year plus ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And right. we found out quickly, and this is why you said that, Grant. I think that we found out quickly that our hearts are knit together and God had been preparing us. I'm going to say, I think it's safe to say, Grant, he's been preparing us, you and I, for mm-hmm. this encounter, this, what uh, David Crowder says, a beautiful collision, right. Right? It's uh, a collision that God had in mind. Anyway, I met Grant. He pastored in Springfield, Ohio for 49 years, I believe. Is that correct, Grant? Yes. Started um, the second weekend of March in 1972. I I was a long-haired hippie who became a Jesus freak in Florida. I felt that I should come back up to my home community, which is Springfield, Ohio, and share the gospel with my friends, my friends from high school, most of whom uh, were involved in drugs because of my influence. And now I'd become a Christian and I think I thought that I needed to share with them another influence. And so I came back and witnessed to 16 of my friends. And uh, the first time I'd ever shared the gospel, just asked my friends to come over to my apartment. When I was finished, I asked them if any would like to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They, they all raised their hands. So I was two weeks old, the Lord, and I just had 16 people to know Jesus. Well, that was uh, mid-January, between mid-January and mid-February. I led 100 people to the Lord, and uh, my parents, who are Christians, were so excited about uh, what I was doing that they put their life savings on the line and enabled us to buy a house that we called a Jesus house. And so I... I, I guess in a way, I began my ministry 49 years ago, um, March, the middle of March, 19, I guess 50 years ago now, middle of March, 1972. That is awesome, Grant. And you know what I love about that, Grant, is because the listeners all know that we've been camped out on this series that we call Lifestyle Evangelism. And what I think is amazing about it, Grant, honestly, is there probably some listeners, that's all they've heard because we've been on this topic, if you will, for so many weeks. But how amazing is it, Grant, that you were two weeks old in the Lord and you were like, hey, man, it's time to share my faith. So, you know, it's crazy, Grant, because I've talked to pastors and leaders across the country and they talk about having a 12 week course of evangelism and these different things. And here you were two weeks old in the Lord, Grant. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in a unique situation. I certainly wouldn't say that God does uh, what he did in my life and everybody's life, but that's okay. We are all unique, but there are some things that God did in my life 
that he does want to do in everybody's life, and that is that we are to be faithful with the gospel. We are to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to share about Jesus. And also, once God uses us to share about Jesus, when those people become Christians, then we have to be good stewards of those new believers. And that's kind of where we join together, because you and I are both, you might say, evangelists. Uh, there's yeah. no, no greater feeling than God working through us to impact the life of another person through Jesus Christ and to see them, their life changed, being born again, forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit. No greater feeling than that. But then also, as we've talked about, we both love to see this, but then there's the known secret in the church today that many who accept Jesus walk away from faithfulness very soon after accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so when Jesus says to go and make disciples, I think he is talking about lifestyle evangelism because he says go for one thing, make disciples and make disciples and evangelism really can't be separated because make disciples has to be defined by what we see in John chapter 15, where it talks about we need to produce fruit. Right. And fruit means lifestyle. It means example. It means one-on-one. It means teaching about Jesus, but it also means growing with one another in Christ, which is what discipleship is all about. And really our perfect model, Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He allowed and gave room to his own disciples as they grew. And, uh, you know, at times, Grant, he was like, oh, man, how long will I have to put up with you guys? Honestly, you know, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit of paraphrasing. Don't you think Jesus still looks at you and I, Mark, and says that today? <laughs> I think probably daily, to be honest with you. Grant. Yeah, well, we're, we're just uh, we're just, uh, I guess, uh, both grateful for his uh, unlimited grace and mercy. That's so good. That is so good. So one of the things that I wanted to do today, Grant, is for the listener's sake, you know, they know my heart for evangelism and and they know my heart for discipleship. Or maybe if you're tuned in for the first time or just very recently, we talk a lot about evangelism, especially in this series. But I want you to know and hear my heart for discipleship as well. And Grant, when you and I met, there were all these little check boxes that we all kind of have. And one of the first things that you said to me, Grant, I don't even know if you remember this, but you said, man, I love revival. And it perked my ears up and I was like, yeah, then I think we've got something to talk about. But then as I delved into what you and I uh, were all about, Grant, I loved it because you were all about evangelism. But the second element and the whole reason that I got involved with Revive in the first place was because there was follow-up, there was discipleship, there was not just letting the people hang. Grant, share with our audience just a little bit today, if you don't mind, like how you have seen the importance of the follow-up, what we call discipleship, in the crusades and things that you've been involved in. Well, I've been a part of three revivals. The Jesus Movement, uh, many people know that it was... uh, It was a unique revival in the sense that there was no central leader. It was like God's spirit came at the end of the hippie movement in the 1960s and created the Jesus movement. And what happened in America was that 12 to 13 million young people literally in a few years came to know Christ. And it was just like me. I was accepted Jesus on the Atlantic Ocean, was baptized, 
New Year's Eve, 1971, 1972. As soon as I came out of the water, first thing I did, somebody came up to me, okay, New Year's Eve on Daytona Beach, not many people are there to be baptized. Right. So most people were there to be partying. And so as soon as I was baptized, somebody came up to me and asked me if I had any marijuana. And I was able to share with them some more powerful stuff than that. Which yeah, was man. And, uh, you know, just from the very beginning, um, there was this revival going on with young people for about two years initially in my Christian walk. It just seemed like 50% of the people that I would share Jesus with would accept him right then on the spot as, as it would just, you know, yeah, I'll accept Jesus. There was such a need. Now, I also have to admit, when I came back to Springfield, my change was so radical and people knew me as the pagan of pagans, and now I was a Jesus freak. And so when I'd walk up to somebody and tell them I was a Christian, there would be this stunned silence, and before they can catch their breath or their words, I would tell them about Jesus. You know, there was this quiet moment where I could just take advantage of it and share Jesus, so they had to listen to me. And many of them accepted Jesus, but I also was involved in a uh, revival in Cuba. Man, there was a 10, 15-year uh, revival going in going on in Cuba. And I don't know, I haven't heard whether it's still going on, but it was a long revival. In fact, I was talking to one pastor, you believe this or not, there's a hundred thousand people in this church. Wow. And it was scattered all across Cuba. And um, literally uh, small groups, uh, meeting in fields, house churches. And uh, yet when I was talking to him about revival, he admitted that even though they had so many hundreds of thousands come to know Jesus, most of them walked away from faithfulness. And I noticed that too, soon after I became a Christian, because of those 16 original that I led to the Lord, uh, most of them walked away from faithfulness within three months. And, and so I've seen this in revival. There's this move of God where many people come to know Jesus. And you and I are both praying for a revival in Ohio. In fact, that's your, the name of your organization is Revival right. Ohio. And soon your team will be in Springfield, Ohio. We're praying for a revival. But what happens in revivals, a lot of people come to know Jesus, and most of those walk away from faithfulness. The third revival that I was involved with was in Russia, especially around the St. Petersburg area. And uh, I went there in 1992. In 1992, the communist wall had just fallen. Westerners could come in. The gospel was being preached in St. Petersburg. And we know that uh, community, I'd say the St. Petersburg community and area surroundings, three, four, five million people. We know, though, in the early 1990s, that 700,000 accepted Jesus. And if you go to St. Petersburg today, there's only 20 to 30,000 Protestants attending church. So that's just an example of what happens. There's, you know, a lot happens with revival, but one of the things I share is that the church has always been good at reaching the lost, but not as good in keeping the saved faithful. That's and that's good, what though. discipleship is. That's why we can't separate evangelism from discipleship. It's so true, Grant. You know, I was listening to you and I'm thinking about Jesus' own words in John 8. And he says, as he spoke these words, well, this is what verse 30 says, John 8, verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, 
and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, Grant, I hear that last verse quoted a lot, but you have to take that in context, like what Jesus is actually trying to say, because the truth will set and make you free if you abide in his word and become a disciple. So you can't have one without the other, right, Grant? No, I mean, you know, what we're talking about, if we want to go scholastic and theological for a moment, there's that moment of saving faith where you receive the word and instantaneously you're set free. Yeah. I mean, at that moment, you know, we use the word justification. At that moment, your sins are forgiven. You have a renewed and restored relationship with God. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we also know there's an element of being set free that lasts until we get to heaven, you know, and that's what yeah. theologians and scholars call sanctification. And, you know, I'm not saying that those who accept Jesus and walk away are Christians. I'm not saying that they didn't have a valid salvation experience. I, I don't want to get into that debate. What I'm saying is they accepted Jesus, and very soon after accepting Jesus, they walked away from faithfulness. And so right. the justification was there, but not necessarily the sanctification. And the word setting you free has to do with both. And here's the thing that we have to understand. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news, but let's remember the Great Commission would paraphrase that by saying, how blessed are the feet of those who disciple. You can't separate the two. Amen. Amen. And that's really the point that I wanted to make in that, Grant, because we have been camping on the evangelism side, but discipleship is first cousin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think it's about the same, it's two, maybe two sides of the same point. Yeah, there you go. I love because that. Analogy. Our only goal with uh, evangelism, and I, I think we need to realize this, that is our ultimate goal with evangelism to have great statistics and have programs with people running forward to know, you know to accept Jesus at an altar call? I mean, that's part of it, but that can't be our goal. Right. Goal ultimately has to be about the change, long-term change in a person's life. That's really what Jesus is talking about. Yeah. And so if we're just about evangelism and not about discipleship, man, I, I don't think that we really understand the evangelism and the sharing the gospel that really is portrayed in the New Testament. I so agree, Grant. And, you know, I'm going to segue into this, Grant, because you've been living a lifestyle of evangelism for, as you said, 50 years, Grant. Right. But knowing and understanding through your relationship with Christ, knowing that discipleship and evangelism cannot just exist without the other, You took it upon yourself, Grant, to begin to write about what God has been teaching you for the sole purpose, I'm sure, of equipping the saints, which is a part of what our calling is as well at Revive. Yes. What happened with me was that I came back as a hippie and began witnessing to my friends. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by new believers, and the result of which was that um, I was a pastor. <laughs> I mean, right. Uh, it was so unique, but I wasn't a member of a church. I wasn't a pastor of a church. I hadn't really been to Bible college. And so I began watching people walk away from faithfulness. And even though there's nothing more satisfying than seeing God work for you, there's, there's nothing more frustrating than to see those people that accepted Jesus as a result of your testimony walking away from faithfulness. So I knew that Scripture had to have the answer. So the first, I said I was about a Christian for three months, and then for the next six months, I, 
I went into a basement of my parents' house and just read scripture, Bible, over and over and over again for six months. And during that six months, I just wrote down everything that had to do with discipleship and Christian growth. And that's when I first began understanding discipleship, and I first began understanding the principles of discipleship. So those lessons, which started 49 years ago, uh, began in reading the Bible, and I've added to it over the years by studying, uh, by reading other authors, but also just a lot of observation with new Christians. And uh, one of the concepts that I've come up with, because uh, so many people today, as we all know, are talking not only evangelism, but discipleship. It's huge today. And many people are trying to figure out this thing called discipleship because they realize that the church, as the saying goes, is a wide, mile wide and an inch deep. And they mm-hmm. recognize that the end solution of that, the solution of that is discipleship. Right. But what I began to see early on through scripture and through observation is that there's a difference between formational and foundational discipleship. And if you don't understand that, your discipleship with new believers will never be successful. Do you want me just to take a moment? and? and I would love that, brother. Yes, thank you, Grant. Well, uh, foundational discipleship came to my focus at the end of Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about a foundation. If you have the right foundation, the rain descends, floods come, the winds blow and burst against that house. And if you're founded upon a rock, you'll be able to withstand. What I began to see is a lot of Christians couldn't withstand the trials and tribulations that they got into. And here's the thing. Statistics show that most of those around the world who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior walk away from faithfulness in the first three months. Eighty percent walk away from faithfulness within the first three months. So I began to see that, okay, the first three months is probably the most important and also in some ways the most difficult time for a new believer. Because if you can make it, if they're still faithful after three months, then the chances go up exponentially that they'll still be faithful five years later. And so what I have done is just focused on that first three months and what needs to happen in that first three months. So I call that foundational discipleship. Now, foundational discipleship is the same for every believer. After three months, or as you begin maturing in Christ, you move from foundation into formational discipleship, which is different for every Christian. Let's say I'm a pastor and somebody's a doctor. Our foundation is the same. We're not going to grow in Christ without praying and reading our Bible, but yet our professional career and education formationally will be different. Right. And so foundation is absolutely the same for all Christians. So if you understand what that foundation is and you gear your instruction and your encouragement for the first three months, then you're going to be focused upon the need of a new believer and the chances of you being successful will go up exponentially. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I presume that you wanted me to talk, Mark, a little bit more about the difference of foundational and formational. Is that true? Yes. Well, um, the material that I have that I have spent 49 years developing is called First Steps Conversations. And uh, you can find it by going on the webpage, www.disciplinganother.com, and you can order this book. It's called First Steps Conversations. And in this book, we do two things. As I review, it's foundational discipleship. In other words, it's what I believe from years of study and actually discipling many new believers that a new believer uh, needs to have in their life. There's the four what I call basic disciplines of the Christian faith, and also there's the four 
similar temptations. What I found is not only do new believers need to have the same basic disciplines, but they also all go through the same similar temptations. An example, every new believer will go through a time, which I call a moment of discouragement, that they will get so discouraged that they'll be tempted to walk away from the faith. Now, in First Steps Conversations, we teach what's called one-on-one discipleship. In other words, you have somebody who's discipling you, and there's no better encouragement when you're at that moment of discouragement than having somebody who has been praying for you that you can call, and they can help you get through that moment of discouragement. So when we talk about foundational discipleship, not only is it the same for everyone, whereas formational is different, Another distinctive of foundational discipleship is that it's one-on-one. Formational discipleship can happen in small groups. It can happen in classrooms. It can happen in church. Uh, it's not that you're not, you know, in those larger groups encouraged in your foundation, but foundational discipleship is best in a one-on-one relationship. When you're first getting that foundation, it's best in a one-on-one relationship. It's like a newborn with parents. It's best in a one-on-one discipleship. And so when you're discipling somebody, You know, this one-on-one exchange is not only giving them information, but it's also giving them an example. And the person who's discipling will be praying for uh, the disciple. And also the Spirit of God comes into that one-on-one connection. You know, the New Testament uses this phrase, one another, 46 times. And so you can't disconnect that one another ministry from discipleship. Uh, And I think that in this discipleship situation, the one another can happen in large group. It can happen in small groups, but it really happens in foundational discipleship. Yeah, Grant, I couldn't agree more. And I love that you're distinguishing the two. And I'm praying that as folks are listening to this, they're getting intrigued and they're getting piqued in their interest in this. And it is a whole entire, if you will, program. And what we want to begin to share with the listeners today is we must transition all new believers or to believers that have maybe lost their way. As you're saying, Grant, you're not taking away from someone that's had a a salvation experience. But what you're just basically saying is, well, listen, we know that you either have had this relationship or you've been introduced to the Lord and you've walked away from it some way, shape, or form, or maybe this is the very first time that you've been introduced to Christ. Either way, you've got to start to enter in to a relationship with Christ. Right. It's just like, Grant, you and I were introduced by a mutual friend. Grant, that's how you and I met. There was a relationship there that got it all started. Exactly. And I think this is what this has to be. And what we're trying to drive home today is, listen, we have to be involved as disciple makers. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is, right? Right. And that's what we have to do. And Jesus said, we've got to go and love people. That's what you have to do as a believer and help other people help other people. I think that's what it boils down to. Grant, time's flying. Any closing remarks or thoughts that you have, Grant, that you want the listeners to know and understand today? Well, I want to thank you, Mark, for having me on your program. Also, I want to thank the listeners for being patient, but I hope the challenge came through that not only do we have to be about evangelism, but we also have to take seriously the challenge to disciple. And as you mentioned previously, uh, for renewed believers, the title of my book is First Steps Conversations for New and Renewed Believers. 
because let's be honest, a lot of Christians are 10, 20, 30, 40 years old, the Lord, and uh, they've never been discipled, and perhaps they don't have the right foundation. And even if they do have the right foundation, there's nothing wrong with going back and, and rebuilding and checking the foundation to make sure that everything's appropriate and in working order. One final thing is that I really believe that Christianity is a relationship with God. It's not a religion. And what discipleship should be, ultimately what we should point to, is that we can have a relationship with Jesus. It's not only a saving relationship, but it's a following Jesus relationship where he's our shepherd and we keep in step with him. And that's where the adventure of life is, not doing our own thing, but realizing that God has created us for a purpose from the beginning of time. And when we are in sync with his will, that's the narrow path upon which we see the power of God, the peace of God, and the prosperity of God released into our life. It's so well put. And, you know, the, the interesting thing in this to me, Grant, is the bottom line is we are all called to make disciples. Like this is Amen. an exclusive calling. So I've talked to lots of Christians over the years, Grant, and they say, well, I don't feel called to be an evangelist. Okay. And we won't get into that for time's sake, but as we're wrapping up here today, I want to say, but you all are called to be disciples. And the magic question is here today, and as we leave this with the listeners, how many people did Jesus disciple? Uh, 13, if you include Paul, he lost one, you know, <laughs> uh, but that's who he focused on. I mean, you could actually say there was more than 12 because he sent out multitudes. There were people that were traveling with him very soon after, you know, we see in the book of Acts, we see people like Barnabas and Timothy come up and start being a part of the, the early church. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, we, we, we traditionally talk about the 12 apostles, you know, and the focus upon them. And even within that 12, there's Peter, James, and John that were three of the 12. And so, you know, it's amazing that somebody who's faithful, discipling one person per year, you can put 10 or 12 years into this and do something that changes the world. Absolutely. And, you know, again, Grant, that is the model Jesus set forth for us. And you're right. All the people that walked with him and continued to walk with him literally were disciples. So it's an ongoing thing. We're all called to it. We should get used to this. And listen, here's some practical training tips and tools that we've been given that God gave us through Grant. And so if you have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. Jesus is calling all of us to go and make disciples. And you've been listening to Time to Revive. Thanks for listening to Time to Revive. This show has been brought to you by Rise FM and Revive Ohio. More information about this program at risefmohio.com. The Rise FM Podcast Network.